Well, I think Pastor Darren might call you all the super faithful. How many of you were here this morning? So you knew Pastor wasn't going to be here. How many of you knew it rained this afternoon? I'll be honest with you, I went through two red lights that were out on the way here. I just about turned back home, and so uh, I, I'm surprised, and uh, I'm glad y'all are here, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here with you tonight. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 this evening, 1 Peter chapter 3. Do you ever read your Bible and not like what you read? Now, I understand that the Bible is always right, and it's always true. My theology on the Word of God is not messed up here. But if I'm honest, sometimes I read God's Word, and I struggle with it. There are times when I read God's Word, and I don't even like what it has to say to me. I think about love your enemies. How do we feel about that tonight? Like, if we were going to vote on that... How would we, uh, I got some thumbs down over here, so the good news is we don't get a vote. (laughs) But if I'm honest, sometimes I read love your enemies or pray for those who despitefully use you, and I go, Lord, do I have to? And then when I read the passage we're in tonight, Lord, I don't like everything you had to say there in that passage. Here's the good news. God didn't ask me. He has not once asked me what I thought about Scripture. He's not asked me once what I thought should go into Scripture. But he has lovingly and graciously provided us his word so that we might hear what he has to say. And so when it's really encouraging and uplifting, we rejoice in it. And when it's difficult and heavy, we rejoice in it. And we do our best to live what God's word has to say. Peter is writing to believers who were suffering here. In fact, before we get to our passage, I want to take you back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I read that passage and revival wants to break out in my heart. To think about these Christians who were experiencing difficulty for their faith, and yet they remained strong in the faith, and God was doing it not for their glory, but for his glory, so that the gospel might go further around the world. Peter was writing to believers who had been dispersed all over uh, what is modern-day Turkey, and they had been dispersed because of the gospel. And the amazing thing is, as they were suffering, some of them being chased from their homes for the gospel's sake, you know what God was doing? He was sending the gospel around the known world. And I rejoice over that. I know what happens after this happens. I know that the gospel does go around the world. I know that God uses these people to turn the world upside down. And I know that the gospel makes it all the way to my life. And yet when I read what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, I don't always want to break out in rejoicing. Let me read our text again, and then we'll, we'll jump in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Would you pray with me tonight? Father, I thank you for this time to preach. Lord, I do thank you for Pastor Darren. I pray that you would be with he and Sister Jamie, that you would watch over them and bless them. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Lord, we know that you're here, but I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word and through your Holy Spirit. God, if we need encouragement, Lord, I pray that through your word you'd encourage our hearts. Lord, if we need some conviction, I pray that we would come under your conviction, and that you would use your word and your Holy Spirit to do so. God, I pray that you would give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech as I preach your word so that I may honor you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I want to talk about living out your faith in a difficult world. Can we just agree that we live in a difficult world? It is a dark and fallen world, and we see evidence every day. It is all around us. Uh, I've spent some time at uh, a local high school recently, and I am convinced that high school is harder than it has ever been. I remember how it was when I was there. It wasn't exactly a, a great, fun place for Jesus when I was there, and it's only gotten worse. But we see it everywhere, and we see it in the places that we work, we see it all around us, and we live in a difficult world. And the question is, how should we believers live? There's part of me from time to time that wants to build a commune and put up a brick wall and just uh, hide away from the world, and yet I know that I can't be obedient to what God has called me to do in doing that. He has placed us here at this time for his sake and for his glory. And he is not surprised by the world that we live in. He is not surprised by the circumstances that we faced. Just as he was not surprised by those, uh, the circumstances that those Peter was writing to were facing those circumstances. And so as we come to this passage, Peter is writing to a particular group of people who are suffering difficulty for their faith, and we live in a particular time, and we are a particular people, a people of God, who are living in a difficult world. And so what are we to do? Well, I think that there are at least five things that we could see in this passage that we're to do. First of all, we ought to be devoted to what is good. We ought to be devoted to what is good. There are lots of things that would seek our devotion. There are lots of things in this world that would seek our devotion. Families seek our devotion. Golf may seek our devotion. Fishing may seek our devotion. Shopping may seek our devotion. All sorts of things cry out for our devotion. But here in this passage, particularly in verse 13, Peter is writing and he says, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? We ought to be zealous for the things that are good. Even in the midst of a difficult and dark world, we are to be those who are devoted to good. 
Now, this, I believe, is a call to good works. We ought to be those who are doing good works. We ought to be serving God in a difficult and dark world by doing good works for those around us. We ought to serve our neighbors. We ought to love our neighbors. We ought to serve those who are far from God. We ought to seek regularly to be kind and show kindness to all those around us. And we need to be devoted to good works. But I also believe that it is calling us to be devoted to the one who has prepared us for good works. When we think about being devoted to good, who is more good than God is? We ought to steal our hearts to be absolutely devoted to the things of God. This world is vying for your heart. It is crying out. It is trying to deceive you to be devoted to all sorts of things other than God. And here, as these believers were suffering difficulty, the Holy Spirit through Peter writes to them and says, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? If you prove yourself devoted to the one who is good. If we were, so to speak, to look up in the dictionary, good, there is none good but God. And we ought to devote our hearts and our lives to him. We ought to be devoted to him. And as we are devoted to him, it is those good works that will flow out of our lives. Do you always feel like serving your neighbor? Do you always feel like loving your difficult coworker? No, you don't. But I promise you, the closer you are to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more devoted you are to God, the more that those good works will flow out of your life. And so the question is, in this difficult and dark and dying world, will you and I, who know the truth, be truly devoted to he who is good? God. So we need to be those who are devoted to what is good. But then also, we need to fear the right things. Look with me, if you will, at verses 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We ought to fear the right things. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I have a few fears in my life. Um, I, I fear heights. Uh, so I think it was last summer, Bethany and I were in Seattle, and we went up to the top of the Space Needle. I don't know how many of you have ever been there. Uh, there's a place for some of you insane people to lean over the edge, uh, and uh, there's all these people taking selfies off the top of the Seattle Space Needle. And then if you go inside, there's another section that has a glass floor so that you can see all the way down. And there's all these people running all over the top of the Seattle Space Needle doing all of that. And Bethany's walking around like a normal person, and I'm doing this the whole way around the Space Needle. I don't care too much for heights. I am afraid of heights. Over the last several years, my children also have been at the Seattle Space Needle, and every one of those insane children that belong to me have leaned over the edge or been on the glass floor. They apparently take after their mother and not their father. We often fear things that don't come to fruition. When I was a child, I remember, I think probably in the third grade, I remember reading an article and doing a story on killer bees. They were coming up from Central America, and they were going to cross into Texas, and they were going to, to migrate into Florida, and we were all going to die from killer bees. Now, 
You may tell me that where you lived, killer bees were an issue. I'll just tell you, I've lived in Polk County almost my whole life and have not run into one. But I spent a good amount of my childhood fearing killer bees, and they never happened. And so I spent time worried about something that never made its way here to Lakeland. And sometimes, spiritually speaking, we do the very same thing. We spend a lot of time fearing things that are not going to happen or may not happen. We also often spend time, much too much time, fearing things um, that we should not fear. For a long time, probably for several years now, I have said that when the pythons that are making their way up from the Everglades make it to Polk County, I'm out. I love Polk County. I am committed. I am born and raised in Polk County. I love it here. I hope to die here. But if the pythons make it here, I'm moving. I'm out. I I don't do heights, and I don't do snakes. I, I am tempted not to tell you this. When it came out in college that I was afraid of snakes, every time I opened one of my dresser drawers or opened my dorm room door, there were rubber snakes waiting on me. And so let me just say Jesus is watching you. Now, I don't know if the pythons will make it here from the Everglades or not, but I'll just tell you, irrationally, I've spent too much time fearing the pythons coming up from the Everglades. And that's the way that some of us are tempted to live our Christian life. We're tempted to live in fear, and yet God has not created us to have a spirit of fear. He has created us to live for him in the world that he has placed us in. We must fear the right things. Let me read verses 14 and 15 again. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Jesus, the Holy Spirit through Peter says, even if suffering comes, you who have already suffered, even as you're experiencing suffering, understand that you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Really? Because I want to fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. Really? Because I want to be troubled. I look at the world that we live in, and if I'm honest, sometimes I want to be troubled. And yet the Lord says, I've got this. I know where you are, and I know what you walk through, and I will be with you every step of the way. I want to be very clear here. I'm not promising you that things won't get difficult. I'm not saying that you won't ever have problems. Listen, any of us who have lived longer than four years know we're going to experience difficulty. But those of us who have walked with the Lord longer than four years, we know that he will be with us and he will lead us through it. And so we should not spend our lives fearing what may come. We should spend our lives devoted to him who has called us, for we are his. We need to fear the right things. I want you to notice the end of verse 15. Verse 15 says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That word reverence, you know what it means? Fear. We're not to fear our circumstances. We're to fear God. We're not to fear what might happen. We're to reverence God more than anything else in our lives. And so if difficulty and pain and suffering come, we just go, you know what? I'm committed to Christ. He's paid it all. He bought me. I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. I belong to him. And so whatever may come, I live for him. 
We shouldn't be fearing pythons in the Everglades. Maybe we should, I don't know. We shouldn't be fearing intimidation for our faith or suffering for our faith. We should be fearing whether or not we're honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, though, we need to make sure Christ is Lord of our hearts. If we go back to beginning of verse 15, it says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, this is confusing a little bit because Peter is writing to believers. He's writing to believers who are suffering for their faith and writing to righteousness, and he says, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And we sort of go, well, they're believers. But if we're honest, we understand the struggle. I mean, if I'm reading my Bible and I'm here in church and we're singing from the hymn book or we're singing songs of praise, I've sanctified the Lord in my heart, but sometimes from the day to day, Richard wants to creep back on the throne of my heart. And it's not just me. I know that it's you. That from day to day, sometimes in the midst of our lives, we want to do what we want to do and we want to serve us more than we want to serve God. And the Holy Spirit through Peter here is saying, this is a daily battle that we're going to face, we must decide who is going to sit on the throne of our hearts. And it needs to be Jesus. He is the only one worthy of sitting there. He is the only one worthy of being Lord of our lives. Sometimes my, my flesh wants to make Richard the Lord of my life, but he is not worthy of it. Lord Jesus Christ is worthy this is the battle for all believers. It was not just the battle for those that Peter was writing to, but it is the battle for each one of us today. Who will we serve today? Now, I suspect that Sundays are a little easier. I've already called you the super, super faithful tonight, but here's the deal. I don't know what you're going to face this week. What does Thursday afternoon at 3.30 look like for you? Is Jesus going to be Lord of your heart then, or are you going to be letting yourself slip in? You see, it's in the day-to-day and the day-by-day that we choose who we're going to serve. And Peter says, we must make sure that Christ is Lord of our hearts. There are so many things in this world that are trying to distract us from following Jesus. There are so many things that would want to divide our hearts. And Scripture, over and over and over again, calls us back to loyalty to Jesus. I don't know what their week holds, but I promise you I'll need to revisit this verse this week. And I'll probably need to revisit it several times this week. We need to make sure that Christ is Lord of our hearts and lives. Fourthly, though, we need to keep our lives parallel to our witness. Look with me, if you will, at verse 16. And keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Can I, can I just paraphrase this? I've told you I'm a local boy. Can I just put this in Polk County for you? Your words ought to match your behavior. So much so that if people started to slander you, other people would go, well, that's not right. I know that person. No, uh, he would never do something like that. 
Here Peter is writing and he says, keep a good conscience so that in the things which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Just keep doing good. Just keep serving the Lord. It doesn't matter what comes. We need to just keep serving the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 31 says, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Now, if we can do things as menial as eating and drinking for the glory of God, then we ought to take every aspect of our lives seriously. Everything that we do ought to be done to the glory of God. How we live, where we go, what we say, who we talk to, how we behave at work, how we treat the difficult family member. Anybody got a difficult family member? Oh, so y'all are the difficult family members. How we treat the person who is difficult at work. How we treat the neighbor who is difficult. I was fussing about a couple of my neighbors yesterday. And the Lord is speaking to my heart right now. How do we treat those who are difficult? I remember when Bethany and I moved into the neighborhood that we live in. We had not even moved in. In fact, I was driving the U-Haul truck, and we were moving the stuff into the, to the neighborhood. We were going to put the U-Haul truck there that night, and then we were going to unload the next day. And she beat me to the neighborhood. And there was a gentleman who lived across the street. And he came out, and he, before I was even there, she got me, she beat me to the house, she was there, I'm in the big U-Haul truck, and I'm driving slower, and by the time I get to the neighborhood, the neighbor is already across the street, already talking to Bethany, already asked her if she knows Jesus and what church she attends. He was a member at Scott Lake Baptist Church. <laughs> and she said, well, we go to Scott Lake Baptist Church too. <laughs> and uh, and it, we didn't even get to have any time in the neighborhood before people knew who we were and knew what I did. You see, everybody that lives in my neighborhood knows what I do. And so when I'm tempted to fuss at my neighbors or to fuss about my neighbors, they know that I claim to be a child of, the, of, the, of God. Let me ask you something. You ever heard somebody say, do as I say, not as I do? How did that sit with you? So some of you may have had parents who said that. They would say, listen, what I tell you you're supposed to do, don't you worry about what I do. Some of you may have had bosses who behaved that way and say, look, I'm the boss here. I don't have to do that. You're not the boss. You have to do it. Did anybody ever walk away from that conversation going, man, I, I really agree with that. I think that's fantastic. I think that's a great plan. But sometimes we live our lives that way, don't we? I mean, it's not that we don't know what God would have us to do in most circumstances. It's whether or not we're going to obey what we know he would have us to do. I mean, like, does anybody have any doubt about how we're supposed to treat our neighbors? Like, is there any question? I know it. I've preached it. And yesterday I was fussing about my neighbors. It is a daily battle for us, isn't it? Keep your life parallel to your witness. 
we ought to do what we know we are supposed to do. We ought to have a good conscience about the way that we behave so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What, what if people tried to talk bad about you, but all they could say is, well, you know, he just is always going around being better than everybody else. He's always being nicer than everybody else. He's always loving everybody. I mean, like, that, that just sounds ridiculous, right? He's always kind, and it just makes me sick. I mean, people would go, well, I'd much rather work with the person who's always kind than the person who's always mean. What are you complaining about? And so could I ask you a question that stepped on my own toes? Could people complain about us and the way we behave and the way we talk and the things they say and the things we say? And would others go, well, that's just ridiculous. They always live like Jesus. Or would they go, yeah, that's right. He does have a bad attitude. You know, I've heard him say horrible things have you heard the jokes that he tells? She's just mean. We need to keep our life parallel to our witness because people know and people are watching. But more importantly than that, Jesus has placed us here as his witnesses. Do you know what his plan is to reach the lost? It's to use you and I. Like, God could do anything. Like, he could show up in the eastern sky, and he could proclaim the gospel with great trumpets. But I don't suspect that he's going to do that, because for 2,000 years, his plan is one believer pass it on to another lost person, and that lost person gets saved, and that believer pass it on to another lost person. And so his plan is to use you and I. And yet, sometimes we're tempted to get sidetracked and think that it's about us. Sometimes we forget how we're supposed to treat our neighbors. And sometimes we forget that we're supposed to love the least of these. Sometimes we forget that we're not supposed to fear suffering but we're supposed to reverence God first in our life. So we need to be devoted to what is good. We need to fear the right things. We need to make sure that Christ is Lord of our heart. We need to keep our lives parallel to our witness. But then fifthly, we need to be willing to suffer. Look with me, if you will, at verse 17. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. There's a good chance we're going to go through difficulty. Like, I, I wish that I could stand up here and tell you tonight that everything's going to go great in your life. But that's a false gospel. And so if we all sort of know that there's going to be great and there's going to be difficult in our lives, and what we need to do is just settle that we're going to love Jesus and worship him and serve him no matter what comes. 
If we're on the mountaintops, we're going to lift our hands. Well, we're Baptists. Maybe we won't lift our hands. We'll lift our hearts, and we'll praise God. And if we're in the valleys, then we're going to keep walking as he leads us one step at a time, and we'll praise his name every step of the way. We need to just settle in our hearts that if, it, if suffering comes, we'd rather suffer for what is good and we'd rather suffer honoring him than to have all the good things and not have Jesus. We need to be willing to suffer. If I'm honest, sometimes I spend more time trying to avoid suffering than I do trying to serve Jesus. And yet scripture calls me to serve him even if suffering comes. Do you remember the Beatitudes? They're sort of countercultural, aren't they? Like that's part of scripture. Like if we were doing the editing of the Bible, we'd go, I don't think that makes sense. It is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read them all because they're, they're just so countercultural, but I want to pay attention to the end. I'll draw your attention when we get there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble. The world just loves a humble person, doesn't it? It builds up the humble. All the humble athletes, we lift them up and we celebrate them. Wow. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he went on in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. That's not what we want to hear. Blessed are those who have no reason to mourn. Blessed are those who are always rejoicing. Blessed are those who are happy. By the way, blessed means actually happy are those who mourn. Verse 5, blessed are the gentle. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. It's not what the world says, right? Don't show mercy. We want mercy for ourselves, but if somebody crosses us, watch out. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Boy, could we stand here for a long time. My job is to serve Baptist churches. They don't call me to serve peaceful business meetings. Baptists, we need to hear this. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the opinionated. But here's what I want us to look at. Verse 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sakes of righteousness, for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insult at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't like any of that, but it is exactly what I need to hear. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Could it be in my life that I have been more worried about avoiding persecution than I have been about being those who are living, about being one who is living for righteousness' sake? Could it be that I have feared the wrong thing? 
I have feared my circumstances, I have feared persecution, and I have not feared God. Yet God's word calls us to fear him above all else. Let me end with a couple of questions tonight. What are you devoted to? Like if we all, everybody else here in this room, watched you tonight and watched you for the rest of the week or the rest of the month or next month or five months or six months. If we went through your checkbook, kids, you don't know what those are. If we went through your online banking, (laughs) if we listened to your phone calls and your conversations, what would we say that you are devoted to? God's word calls us to be devoted to God above all else. And although we may be the super faithful tonight, I don't want to take anything for granted. Here's what God's word tells us. Every one of us are sinners. You know why we struggle with this? Because we're sinners. There are two types of people in this room tonight. Those who are lost in their sins and those who are sinners saved by grace. It's the only two types of us. And so for those of us who are sinners saved by grace, we're wrestling through this, but the good news is Jesus has paid it all and our sins are forgiven and we're on our way to heaven. But that doesn't mean we take our eye off the ball. We are called to live for him. But some of us here tonight may be those who are lost in our sins. Scripture says we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has missed the mark. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus so that he would live the perfect life, so that he would die a death that he did not deserve, so that he might take on my sin and your sin, and that we who would place our faith in him could have our sins forgiven. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I just say to you, that's why you're here tonight? God has you here tonight so that you might hear the gospel and respond by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in Jesus. It is the greatest need in your life. I am some 32 years beyond making that decision, and I have never once regretted it. If you don't know Jesus, that is your greatest need tonight. Here's question number two. What is driving your life, fear or faith? And then question number three, does your life line up with that which you say you believe? I started by saying that this passage was difficult for me, but it's exactly what I need. Maybe it's what you needed too. I stepped all over my toes all week preparing it, It only stepped on your toes for a few minutes. But maybe the Lord's been speaking to your heart tonight. I want to pray, and then we'll be in a time of invitation. If the Lord's laid a decision on your heart, I'd love to pray with you or talk with you about it right down here. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening to preach your word. God, I confess that I need it. Sometimes I'm tempted to live in fear of all sorts of things. Fear of man, fear of circumstances, fear of suffering. God, would you help me to live 
out of reverence and fear and honor of you. God, I pray that you would be on the throne of my heart, not just this moment, but every moment this week. God, I pray that my faith would not waver, that I would honor you with all the things that I say and all the things that I do this week. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would challenge them. And I pray that they would cling to your word even when it is difficult. God, I pray for those who may need to make decisions tonight. Lord, you know every heart in this room. And so if there are those who have sort of been talking one thing and living differently, I pray that they would get that right with you. If there are those that are here that have have never repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus, I pray that they would do that tonight. Maybe there are those who just know that you would have them to be members at Scott Lake Baptist Church. I pray that they would get that right tonight. And then if there are other decisions, we just ask that they would all be obedient to your leading. We give this time now to you, and we ask that you would work as as you see fit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I believe we're going to sing hymn number 295 as we stand tonight. Hymn 295, Near to the Heart of God. Amen. Let me say again, thank you so much for being here tonight. I believe Brother Ray is going to come and close us out and pray for our offering. And uh, I pray that the Lord would just bless you and keep you this week and watch over you. Brother Ray? Oh. That's okay. Mrs. Redden passed away this week, and her service is at Lakeland Funeral Home on Thursday at 11 o'clock. So those of you who would like to attend, if not, pray for the family, if you would, please. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for bringing us here to your house this evening, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to weather the rain, Lord. 
We thank you for the rain, for it is necessary, but thank you for keeping us safe. We pray that you return us safe to our homes, Lord. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that uh, you allow us to live righteously, that you allow us to follow your word, Lord, uh, that you keep us from the snares of the evil one, Lord. Help us this week as we go out into our jobs in the world, Lord, and hopefully have opportunity to uh, witness to others, Lord. We thank you also, Lord, for uh, the offering, Lord, both this morning and this evening, Lord, that you use it, that you multiply it, and that you help us tell others about you through it, Lord. We ask you these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.